nothing better than the praises of God's people. If you're able, I want you to remain standing for just a few more moments as we look at our scripture for this morning, found in James chapter number one. We'll look at verses nine through 11 together. Word of God to you today. Believers who are poor, something to boast about, for God has honored them. Those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls. Its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade with all of their accomplishments. Ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. I'm grateful for your presence today. Thank you so much for being with us. If today is your first time with us, a special welcome to you. My name is Rodney. I'm one of the pastors here at New City, and we have been moving right along through our sermon series on the book of James. We've talked about quite a bit so far, if you're just joining us, we've talked about the certainty of trouble or trials. We've talked about how we should consider them opportunities for great joy. We've also talked about the need for wisdom and unwavering faith. And today, as we continue in our series, we'll talk about our spiritual position in God, our spiritual position in God. Before we do that, let's take a moment and pray together. Father, we're grateful for today. We're grateful for your grace and we're grateful for your mercy. You didn't have to do it, but you did. So we ask that you would help us to lean into you in this moment. Give us attentive ears and give us receptive hearts. We declare that, Jesus, you are the authority in this room. Move up and down these aisles, move in and out of our hearts. But as always, we ask that you would do whatever it is that is pleasing in your sight. But get the glory in this place today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to kick off our time today by talking about paradoxes. Paradoxes. Life is full of paradoxes. Now, for the benefit of those who may not know, a paradox can be defined as a seemingly absurd or a self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained, it may in fact prove to be well-founded or to be true. Life is full of paradoxes, like sometimes when you go to the doctor, right? Oftentimes, the doctor has to make you feel bad before he can make you feel better, right? Maybe it's a, it's a, a shot or maybe it's some nasty medicine or uncomfortable surgery or rehab, perhaps. But it's all a part of the process of getting better. How about relationships? All right, relationships are full of paradoxes, right? When there's, there's chaos or trauma or confusion or neglect or unhappiness, sometimes it's necessary that we go to a therapist or a counselor, which many of us don't like to do, but we have to talk through it. We have to relive it to a degree, but that helps to bring life and to bring wisdom and to bring insight from something that may not, have, may not always felt good or may not always have been good. But those moments are crucial. They're critical because they bring life and wisdom. Or as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, getting in shape, right? 
I would say spring is coming, but we got a little taste of winter. Got a little taste of winter come through here this morning, but spring is coming, and, and, and most of us like to get, get in summertime shape, right? Well, that, that, that calls for something, doesn't it? Oftentimes, our muscles have to be damaged or torn down before they can be built up. Our muscles have to be fatigued before we can grow in our endurance. Life is full of paradoxes. But the scriptures are also full of paradoxes as well, right? I want to share a few biblical examples of some paradoxes we find in scripture. A popular one says, when I am weak, then I'm strong, right? That's a paradox. Another one is, anyone who finds his life will lose it, and anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. Here's another one you may be familiar with. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must first be your what? Servant. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6.10, we own nothing, yet we have everything. James said a couple weeks ago, consider it an opportunity for great joy when you go through trouble. These are paradoxes. Even during this This season of Lent, we give up something to grow up spiritually, don't we? We give up something to grow up. This season is a season of repentance and fasting in preparation for the celebration of Easter. But before there was a resurrection, there had to be a crucifixion. Life and scripture are full of paradoxes. Paradoxes often get our attention They're powerful tools for truth, and they make us think. They help us to slow down, help us to pause. They help us to think more deeply than we would normally do. And we just read a couple of paradoxes that James uses in verses 9 and 10 of James chapter number 1 when he talks about the poor and the rich. Now, let's get into this this morning, the poor and the rich. He begins verse 9 by saying, believers who are poor. He began verse 10 by saying, and those who are rich. Now, not only is James writing here to to people that have been scattered and stuck. We talked about that before. But he's also writing to people that are in various positions financially. Now, most of the people here that James is writing to, they are without. They're poor because they have been scattered and they're fleeing persecution. But his point here which is not to offend any of those who are poor or those who are rich. His point is that we all go through trouble. That's why he's mentioning the poor and the rich now. Right after he said, when you go through trouble, consider it a great opportunity for joy. His point by mentioning these people here is that we all go through trouble, the poor, the rich, and everyone in between. And thus, we all need what he just talked about, faith. We need endurance and we need wisdom to face these troubles. Now, while we all have troubles, the poor and the rich oftentimes face different troubles, don't they? They have different temptations. But whether we are poor, we have lack or without, or whether we're rich, our temptation will always be to act independently of God. You see, both poverty and riches can drive us away from God and into selfishness if we're not careful. In fact, this contrast between the poor and the rich will show up five more times in the book of James. Five more times. This contrast between 
the rich and the poor, which is important for us to pay attention to. Because we're more affected by our wealth or our lack thereof than we think. Oftentimes, I'm learning that our income determines our outlook. Our income often determines our outlook. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But it shapes our perspective. It shapes our perspective of the world and even our view of God. And so money and social status were real problems among these people that James is pastoring and that he's writing to. Now, for clarity, you can be poor or without in more areas than just your finances, right? Some of us know what it's like to be relationally poor, right? We lack genuine connection and friendships. Some of us know what it's like to be emotionally spent, fatigued, emotionally exhausted. We can also be morally bankrupt, right? We can be morally bankrupt. But again, these people that James is writing to here, they've been scattered and they are displaced people. They're scattered, they're stuck, and they're displaced people. Now, this makes me think about all the things uh, that we're doing as a church that Pastor Travis and our serve team is leading us through to help those that have been displaced, those that are living without many of the options that you and I currently enjoy. Imagine, if you will, the tension of living in that space. The tension of living in a space, maybe some of you can relate, where you have to now rebuild everything. This is where they are. They're in a space where they have to rebuild everything. And James, as their pastor, is writing to them to encourage them. But as he writes, he writes to both the poor and the rich because both have temptations and both have struggles. One of the major temptations for those that he's writing to, those that have lack, is to doubt God and take matters into their own hands rather than trusting that God will provide what they need. You ever done that? I have. Experienced lack, and I've tried to take things into my own hands instead of trusting God. But there's another and more arguably greater temptation that comes with lack. And that is that you tend to see yourself as unworthy. You tend to devalue yourself based on what you don't have. It's part of the reason why James is writing to these people. I mentioned a few moments ago that your income level can affect your outlook. And sadly, for some that struggle with lack, their self-esteem takes the biggest hit. And so James is writing to them, and he says in verse 9, he says, believers who are poor have something to boast about because God has honored them. Because God has honored them. What does that mean? Other translations here say, let the lowly boast in his exaltation. Let the brother in humble circumstances glory in his high position. In other words, James is saying, you, don't, you may not have a nice car, you may not have a nice house, or the kind of clothes that you want, but you have a legitimate reason to boast because God has honored you. Now, for clarity, he's not talking about self-centered boasting that lifts up self in order to put others down. What he's referring to is God-centered boasting that's all about how great God is and what God has done for you and in you. How he has blessed you, how he has guided you and strengthened you and provided for you. More specifically, God has honored the poor believer by giving him a high position, referring to his spiritual position or his spiritual wealth in Christ. In other words, if you are experiencing lack and you have put your trust in Christ as your Savior, 
you instantly became an heir of all of God's riches. You have been honored. If you're a child of the king, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places, you have been honored. When Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, he provided freedom for you, a new life for you, new wisdom, new strength, new direction for you. You have been honored. This is the point that James is trying to drive home here. Again, many of you have heard pieces of my story. I know what this is like. I know what it's like to have lack. Many of you know that a few years ago, not too long ago, I had to sell all of my furniture on Thanksgiving weekend just to make ends meet. Many of you know my story of how I was working at Luciano's in South End, having to wash saucepans and I had to eat pasta all of the time. I didn't like it. But God provided for me. Even when I was in lack, even when I was in lack, God was showing me that, son, I still honor you. I still have a call for your life. And James is saying the same to these people that he's writing to, and God is telling all of us in the room the same thing. Regardless of your position financially, you are honored by God. So the next time you start feeling low because of what you don't have, I need you to remember how rich you are in what really matters. You are rich in your spiritual position. That is your reality. That is your truth. Can we, can we give God some praise for that? Can we give God some praise for that? This is who we are. This is who we are. But what about the rich? James mentions them too, right? They have temptation, then they have struggles as well. One of the major struggles for those that have plenty is to rely on what they have to meet their needs and fix their problems rather than God. The one who gave the money and the wisdom and the skill to get what they have. Don't hear me wrong here. There's absolutely nothing wrong with wealth. Absolutely nothing wrong with wealth. But when wealth becomes your God or the thing you trust in more than anything else, that's when we have a problem because that will eventually drift us away from God. Again, for clarity, having resources is great and it can cut your prayer list in half. Amen, somebody. can cut your prayer list in half. But when it becomes an idol, it becomes a part of the problem rather than an answer to the problem. You may be familiar with 1 Timothy 6.10 that says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money itself. For the love of money. Because the truth is, even, even wealthy, even the wealthy have problems that money can't fix. Even the wealthy have, pro have problems that money can't fix. And just like the poor, your income can affect your outlook. Only with the rich, a major temptation is pride. Right? To think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And to develop a mindset that says, essentially, I have what I need. Why do I need God? I have everything materially I need. Why do I need God? And so James writes to them in verse 10. He says, and those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. What does he mean? What he's saying here is he is encouraging humility in those who are wealthy. Because, again, having wealth is not a sin. It's not immoral. Nor is it an indication of where somebody is spiritually. And James is making this distinction here because that's what he cares about as their pastor. Is where are you spiritually? Where's your heart towards God? 
And this is interesting because the position of the wealthy is usually exalted in the world, isn't it? It's usually exalted. The, the world often sees those who are wealthy as wise and successful. But what God, but God has humbled them, James is saying. God has humbled them, and James says they should boast about it. God has humbled them, and they should boast about it. He's sharing here that rich believers should rejoice in the fact that they, like the poor, belong to Christ and should depend on him and him alone. Let me show you what Jeremiah Chapter 9, verses 23 and 24 says, it says, this is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth. And that I delight in these things, I, the Lord, have spoken. I love that verse. This is, this is what James is foot stomping here. But I want to be clear, the humiliation that he is speaking of is referring to their being humbled before God by the work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. This is what he's referring to. This humiliation is not an embarrassment. It is the taking of a lower position. It's being humbled or brought low by the thought of who God is and what he's done. It's being brought low and humbling ourselves by coming before the cross and saying essentially another paradox, though I am nothing, in Jesus I am worthy, I am valuable, I am special, and I am loved. This is what James is trying to orient their minds and their hearts around. So the rich believer is to realize that his or her wealth brings them no greater value in the eyes of God. No greater value. They ought to not boast in their wealth, but in their humble status as servants of God. But I love this. What James is encouraging here is both a point of humility and a point of joy all at the same time. It's a point of humility, but it's also a reason to have great joy, regardless of the temptations. The poor and the rich believers have something to boast about. God has honored the poor, and God has humbled the rich. Our spiritual position in God is what matters most because everything else, as we'll see here in verse 11, will fade away. And that's what he's saying. Everything else is fleeting, and it's frail. Let's look at verse, verse number 11 together. It says, the hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. Now, in this, in this, in this portion here, he is foot stomping or emphasizing his point here. He's emphasizing his point to make sure that there are no misunderstandings as to what he's saying. It is not our worldly possessions that take us through the trials and troubles of life. It's our spiritual position. Worldly riches and possessions will one day fade away. Essentially, he's saying this. Our position from worldly possessions is temporary and it's fleeting. But our position in Christ is secure and it's eternal. And this is important for us to understand because when life hits us, the first thing we turn away from is God. I know I've done it. 
when life hits us, when trouble hits us, when trials come, typically the first thing we turn away from is the only thing in this life that will never fade away. The only thing in this life that is secure, that is eternal. In other words, the position that you and I need to get excited about is our position before God, our identity and our inheritance in him. This is the point that James is driving home here. The poor believer needs to remember that he or she is blessed with every spiritual blessing there is in Christ. And the rich believer needs to remember that even though they may have everything that money can buy, they have nothing of eternal value without Jesus. And so the orientation here for you and I, because we have trouble and we need faith and endurance and wisdom, is to trust in our spiritual position in Christ. It's to trust in that above everything else because nothing tests your faith like trouble. Nothing shows us a mirror of where we are spiritually quite like trouble does. And this is why James is saying we are to boast in what God has done for us because it's our identity and our inheritance in him that will never fade away, that will never fade away. And this is the lesson for you and I this morning. It's actually an invitation for us to examine the things that we're trusting in. What are, you, what, are you, what are you really trusting in? Not what you say you trust in, right? We talked about this a, a while ago. We have, we have professed values and we have practiced values, right? We say we value certain things, but if I followed you, if I followed your life, what does your life say that you value? And James is calling those that he's writing to and calling us to re-examine how much we value our position in Christ. Because our ultimate thanksgiving before God is not the riches of this world, but it's the riches of the gospel. And this is what you and I are being called home to. Because whether we are going through trouble, coming out of trouble, or currently in trouble... Our focus should be who we are and what we have in Christ. And James, right at the beginning of his letter, is reminding his people that he's pastoring who are scattered, who are stuck, who are fleeing persecution, who are undoubtedly in a space that many of us in this room are in today. And he's telling them, listen, it doesn't matter what you have. Because the most important thing that you have, if you are a believer in Christ, it'll never fade away. I want to leave you with 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, which say this. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now. Right now, today, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of trials, in the midst of confusion, now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you 
by his power until you receive the salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Takeaway for you and I is that we ought to be purposeful and intentional in seeking Jesus above all else. When troubles come, that is not the time for you and I to abandon Scripture. It's not the time for you and I to abandon God. It's the time for you and I to lean in to the position that we have in Christ. This is what James and his big brother Jesus, this is what they're most concerned about. Is us holding fast to our spiritual position in God. In other words, you and I should boast in our spiritual position, not in our worldly possessions. Because everything else will fade away. Amen? To God be the glory. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are grateful for this moment. We're grateful for the shifting of our minds and our hearts to who we are and what we have in you. So we apologize, God, for putting those things before you, whatever we have. We apologize for taking matters into our own hands, not trusting you to provide. But we thank you that the breath in our bodies is an opportunity to change course. It's an opportunity to choose to trust. Whether it's something that's not going right on the job, whether it's a relationship that's not going the way we would have hoped, whether it's our children that's not giving us what we think they should. Whether it's a spouse we love that we can't seem to communicate well with. Whether we're in a season of lack, whether we're in a season of plenty, help us to boast in our spiritual position in you. Thank you for all you've done for us, God. Thank you for all you mean to us. And we pray that you would help us to see ourselves the way you see us. Special, loved, valuable. Help us to remember that our greatest treasure is the one that will never fade away. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for raising from the dead. And thank you for being a very present help in the time of trouble. Help us to embrace our identity and our inheritance in you. That we might shift our eyes from our trouble to our king. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.